Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. This is Studio C41, and I'm Bill Manning, and I'm here with Mr. Stephen Wallace. How's it going, buddy? Well, good evening, Bill. Uh, it's doing well, man. How are you? Not, not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, no interview tonight, um, but oh, we have lots sweet. of talk. Sweet. I can go home. All right. See you, man. All right. Peace out. All right. Merry Christmas, and I'll, uh, I'll see you in January. Sounds good. All right. Cool. So before we start this evening off, um, so we kind of grown up a little bit. Uh, we do have a little bit of a sponsorship. Uh, Wait, what? Yeah, we have a little bit of affiliate link set up. So um, we have a, an affiliate set up with uh, Photo Classic International, and uh, they've been in the news quite a bit lately. So um, this is uh, good for them, good for us. So um, they have a awesome magazine article. Um, we've worked with them to uh, have an affiliate link set up. So whenever... You uh, buy a subscription from them. Uh, we get a little small little thing, little kickback. So, you know, that trying to be transparent as possible about all that. But uh, it's an awesome magazine. I love it. Uh, 130 pages worth of content. Only four advertisements out of that entire thing it is spectacular. So I very much enjoy reading through it. There's a lot of great content. Uh, so if you guys are interested in checking them out and purchasing a and purchasing a uh, uh, subscription from them, uh, check them out. It's You can go and use our bit.ly link. It's bit.ly forward slash studio classic, and that's classic K-L-A-S-S-I-K. And doing so will keep us... Uh, basically, it takes a lot of coffee to, uh, to produce this podcast. And uh, really, that's where our highest line items. So. <laughs> Fair enough. So, um, but uh, that's pretty much it. So we're going to jump straight into it. Um, so the we've had a couple interviews in between this uh, one, but we'll kind of dive back. Um, so with Dr. Shapiro, man, that was... Oh, that was fantastic. Like, I could yeah. have um, easily kept just nerding out about, like, the philosophy of art yeah. with him for way too long. Um because all of the stuff, it was just kind of like being back in art school again. Um, all of those conversations, all of those things that just um, really were just kind of like fun to get into and just theorize about like, well, what is art? What makes yeah. this like, you know, the ideas of even someone like um, what the, the whole conversation about Banksy and yeah. we all Richard Prince, whatever, just that a kind of idea and concept of what is art. Yeah, um, that was that was awesome. I love to actually just kind of get into I mean, clearly, if you listen for any amount of time, you know that I'm a nerd. Um, so it's one of the other things I do enjoy actually nerding out about and kind of talking about that whole, you know, um, I guess maybe more philosophical side of, yeah. of what we do. Yeah. And, you know, it was kind of refreshing that it wasn't all about film sure, at yeah. all. I mean, I think it was just I think it was a very uh, grown up conversation about photography in general. We're going to have to, like, you know start being appropriate and like uh uh reserved and like here i'll take care of this mommy wow i'm a big kid now are we now back to like immaturity no and i think we're just weirder than we ever were before so <laughs> i was just gonna make like a poop joke or something but well, poop yeah poop i mean you know it's like poop jokes aren't my favorite but they're a solid number too all right we'll never be npr now yeah exactly oh, all right so. No, have you listened? You need to listen to NPR because I've heard I've heard numerous poop jokes and and <laughs> I am all for it. So anyway, um, I digress. Uh, please let me digress to Dr. Shapiro. That was a fantastic conversation. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, made me um, like I said, want to actually get back out more into exploring the art scene of our city here. Yeah. And even like just investigating some more things like that. Atlanta celebrates photography and yeah. some other stuff that we have going on. And I'm sure, you know, it's not hard to find wherever you're at. There's going to be somebody making, producing, showing some kind of yeah. art somewhere. So, yeah, and, and what was really interesting about all that, um, the conversation that we had about discovery, right? Oh, yeah. It's like I had no idea how to be discovered. Like, you know, sure, I put it, put, all these pictures on Instagram and everything. And it's like, 
you know, where does this go? What's the purpose of it and everything? It's really made me think about uh, being more intentional with my photography in general. Mm, interesting. Okay. Um, just simply just because I posed that question to him at the very end saying, you know, uh, what's your recommendation for somebody that, you know, is trying to gain recognition, right? And, like, I kind of posed that question to where he kind of would, like, instantly shoot that down because, like... Yeah, I mean, like, his... I love this point that it should never... It should never be about the recognition. It should never be about... If you're producing art, you're producing it because you can't help but make that thing. Exactly. And and it was really nice um, because I think there was a big problem with validity. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to... F- fight every single person on and i think this just has to do with social media in general stop reading the comments well they're not about me oh well fair enough all right okay so um (laughs) (laughs) but no i mean i think there's something that has to be said about that because people are always constantly posting stuff and then you know there's somebody going oh well you you cut the person's hand off there, like you know. It's like yeah. I mean, you we fight for that validity for some odd reason. We yeah. are in a like uh, a hyper critical um, uh, society with the advent of you know. Yeah, exactly. It used to be you would have to pick up a book or go to a gallery right. or wherever to actually see that particular piece of art, and then right. now you can have that one thing, whether it's like I don't know, like andy warhol's maryland's or something and see all of the criticisms about how pointless it is or whatever it may be right um and so you really can um and something that i wanted to i was thinking about after our whole conversation with him that i wanted to bring up but there was just again we could have kept talking for hours it could have been hours yeah um just about like i do love the aspect of I know things like the um, Infinity Mirrors exhibit, stuff mm-hmm. like even seeing the um, Terracotta Army and everything. Right. Bringing kind of an experience that you can't get, kind of bringing the tangibility of seeing works of art and especially in large scale installations right. and things. Yeah. Um, I love that there's so much buzz around those kind of things. And like this Infinity Mirror show, wherever it goes, it sells out. Yeah. Because it is a huge art installation yeah and it's giving something that people you know you can look up and see uh whether it's like the girl with a pearl earring or like you know um a Syrah painting or something whatever it may be you can we're kind of inundated with the imagery of it right but there's nothing like seeing these things in person right um and i think that the uh art installations where there's no way to really reproduce it through an image where you have to go and physically see it. Mm-hmm. I think it does an amazing job of kind of sending or kind of making a really clear case for why museums and galleries and everything are yeah. so vital and so important and kind of exposing people to that aspect of, you no, know, you should go see a work of art in person. Yeah. Um, given the chance. Yeah. I, it was a mind blowing conversation with them. Um, I, I had a laugh. We had to, I said, man, there were a lot of names that were dropped <laughs> in that in that conversation. And like, honestly, I'm not going to lie. I probably knew like 25 percent of that. I had a good 85 okay. percent. There were a couple like I honestly didn't know any Remington work before. Fair so enough. that was like the one guy you guys were talking about the most. I had no no point of reference. Sure. And I had a laugh because he was like, oh, when you know I was younger and I was working first working at the Guggenheim. You know, he was like, oh, can you go take down that Mondrian? I'm like, oh, yeah, what's a Mondrian? And then I go look it up. I'm like, oh, I know that. Yeah, painting. you know a lot Duh. of these. <laughs> So it's like I know the works. I just don't know the names. Or sure, of course. So um, so I'm not I'm not uh, literate in art. Well, I mean, you know, I just, again, going back to art school, man, I had like three yeah. semesters of art history where it's like getting drilled into me, like the name, the artist, the medium, the year, yeah. the all that. Yeah. All that kind of crazy stuff. I still can't do base. I mean, I can do basic math, but I still can't do college algebra. But, you know, <laughs> I can tell you a lot about post-impressionism. Yes. Well, the answer is always X. Um, I'll let you think about to that To post-impressionism or to algebra? To algebra. Oh, okay. Maybe to post-impressionism as well. That's true. Okay, we're going to, like, you know. <laughs> okay, so. Yes, anyway. Anyway, we're, we're cutting ourselves off here. Yeah, exactly. Um. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the interview with him. It really has made me rethink about my photography and in a level that I really have not thought about 
um, and kind of made me go, what's the purpose of my photography? Yeah, why, are you, why are you shooting why, what why you're shooting? Yeah. Why are you drawn to it? I think that's something that any anybody who's producing work, um, as you think it's just a hobby, a love, or whatever it may be, right. or even if you are, like that's I think it's a fantastic question that somebody shooting weddings should be asking yourself, why am I doing this? Why right. am I photographing this? Right. If, why am I drawn to these moments in this doing this for these kind of people you know right yeah it's hmm i'm gonna ponder okay all right so now but i mean i think it's um a legitimate question to ask as far as what do we want to do with our photography and um you know if anything to kind of take away from this interview and the interview with dr shapiro you know, hop into the Studio C41 Facebook group and talk about it. I, I, hey, I, there you go. Look at that. Look at that little fog. Yeah, that was that nice. Um, no, but honestly, I'd like to hear your thoughts as far as uh, why you why you are a photographer, not a film photographer, but why do you photograph? Like, is and, it just for personal enjoyment? Yeah, and or? let's talk about, like, the subject matter you photograph. Why yeah. are you drawn to photograph, you know, sure. gnarly trees on a beach or whatever it may be, right. you know? Yeah. So uh, let's let's hear it. Uh, so Studio C41 Facebook group. Okay. So uh, next thing up is um, we went and saw Annie Leewoods in the flesh. Yes, we did. Which was thank you for that, man, for the yeah. invite and like uh, the uh, the. Well, I should I should thank Jessica for for deciding <laughs> she didn't want to go. <laughs> and uh, no, appreciate you asking me uh, to uh, to come along, man. It was, yeah, dude. It was it I still in the same vein of the the conversation with dr shapiro kind of took me back to art school days so yeah, getting really. to go and it was very i mean it was in a much larger setting but it really was an artist talk yeah it's had that it felt very relational it wasn't just like a lecture it was sure. very much like akin to you know back in college when we would have like a, a visiting artist or somebody come in and talk about their body of work or yeah. whatever it may be it was so it was very, very nice for that. Yeah. And um, I know like you have been a big Leibowitz fan for, for a, a long, long time. time yeah. So how is how is that for you getting to to see and hear from one of your uh one of your biggest inspirations? You know, um a lot of it was I don't want to say repetitive from the DVD. Sure. Um, I mean, she's selecting a body of work uh, She's been talking. She's been talking about, about this these for things a for a while. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but I found it very enjoyable, regardless, because she, there was so much more that she talked about that was not in the DVDs yeah. as well. So, um, you know, it's it's, it's so hard to really kind of tap into like there's two sides of Annie Leibovitz when it comes to her photography. You know, everybody goes, oh, she photographed this celebrity in this studio, and sure, yeah, the cover of. Rolling Stone and the cover of um, not oh Vogue. She's done a lot of yeah, with that Vogue and, and uh, v- Vanity Fair. Yes, yes, Vanity Fair is probably more um, so. Yeah, so we, that is the work that people know Annie yeah, for. She's right, she's the celebrity photographer who exactly. photographs celebrities. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So, but she showed a side of her work that uh is very personal to her yeah man um she talked about her losses photographing her father who was dying her yeah susan sontag when she was you know close to passing away and in the process of that and yeah which still i need to read sontag's book at some point on photography i was interested it's i I didn't know that yeah i mean so she was never a photographer herself um but it was it's kind of one of the seminal works about the philosophy of photography and why it actually matters and kind of like just looking at it from a critical um standpoint as photography is an art form um and yeah i was a book that i was all throughout school was told that we should read this book and i still never have so i'm sorry to my professors (laughs) but um it's uh i honestly had kind of whatever had forgotten the connection between her and the chi and annie Leibowitz were partners that um so yeah, it was really really cool to see that, and yeah, just like you were saying, I've I honestly have not been as big a fan of Annie Leibovitz with the whole commercial side of things sure. and the celebrity photography. Um, just it's not her style is not really my aesthetic, sure. and then that's fine. I can appreciate her influence and her body of work, right? But it was like you were saying, seeing that early work, her photojournalism stuff, yeah, like with the Rolling Stones or even on like um, it was near the Watergate, uh, uh, yep. 
incident when Nixon was resigning and everything. Yep. Those images were friggin' amazing. Yeah. And I was so much more drawn to those than her pictures of um, you know, whichever celebrity. Jack Nicholson or yeah, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, this stuff is so this is killer yeah. journalism and documentary work yeah. that like I can this spoke to me. Yeah. So it allowed me to see a different side of this this artist who does have such an accomplished career. Yeah. Um that I honestly I had no idea about it. And so she, I was really grateful for that. Yeah. And she even was like, This is the photography I prefer, not working in a studio, which is kind of like I mean, she's like, you know, even her portrait on the front of her book is like her standing with all this lighting exactly, and studio setup. Exactly. You know? Yeah. It's fascinating that uh she she was talking about uh, that she didn't like any of that stuff and that she preferred being uh, in an environment where I guess it would be more personal work. Yeah. It's uh, much more intimate. It's, uh, I yeah. mean, even the stuff she was showing, she was shooting uh peel apart uh, black and white on yep. a, off of an RZ 67. And yeah. so, yeah, it was, it was a very cool experience to just see made again, made me appreciate her as a photographer and a working artist so much more than I had before. Yeah. Um, your favorite story. Uh, so my favorite story actually was not of any with like, yeah. Okay. Um, so one of my favorite stories from it, uh, was her talking about the new, uh, speed limit laws that were put in place. Oh yeah, when she got pulled over, she was and everything pulled over in that and, Porsche. Yeah. Yes, and she was asking the police officers if she could take a picture of them after they've written her a ticket yes, with she, an SX70. She had that. I completely forgot about that. That was fantastic. <laughs> that she showed hilarious. that whole series of all of those. Just must have been just after the SX70 came out too. That 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 was like that was great. I would not have asked. Yeah, that was very <laughs> that was very brazen, and I appreciate it. Yes, and it was amazing. Um. And I was uh, thinking about like the when she talked about photographing Sally Mann, mm-hmm. um, which was just hearing that whole story of it, mm-hmm. of her going into this person who's not in front of the camera. She's an incredibly accomplished photographer, made her name by shoot, photographing her children and mm-hmm. her home um, in the Appalachian Mountains and how personal and kind of, you know, I want to say uh, not. Yeah, a little bit closed off She that kind of is and sure. how important that is to her. But getting when she talked about getting into that space with her mm-hmm. and talking and having Sally Mann show her these really important, precious spaces for her and her family. Yeah. Just kind of that whole process of of building that trust with her and yeah. really having those that connection and everything that was hearing that whole story was really, really cool. Because, again, yeah. you don't think about, oh, yeah, she photograph this famous photographer she's a right. famous person you don't hear about those in between moments what it took to get that emotion out of that person to get them comfortable in front of the camera to just made me th- i can think about photographing people who aren't used to having the lens turned on them yeah um and i loved that whole exchange and i think yeah. she i've had only flipped through the book at work mm-hmm. um a little bit but i i want to say she wrote about that interaction in there too yeah the, um, so for anybody that's wondering, uh, in this book, uh, there, there's no kickback in this particular book and what I'm recommending the book at work, highly, 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 highly recommend getting this book. Um, if you're wanting to know the technical aspects of it, she does give that info, uh, as far as what her gear she used. Um, there's like a whole section in the back, um, about FAQs as far as like, Oh, well, what camera did you use for this? Or what kind of gear do you use? Um, you know, your lighting setup and all that stuff. So that is more like just that's just the questions she probably gets banned. Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not like an with. instructional book. Right. So um, this book was just mostly stories of her interacting with the people that she's photographed. And kind of more of a, I want to say a retrospective, but yeah. in some ways it kind of was, you know, showing mm-hmm. a lot of that, that course of her at work, of her career. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um. So amazing book at work get it put it read it put it on your shelf and reference back to it for for inspiration when you need it that's what i do with the books that i have uh, richard avedon yosef karsh um i mean the list just goes on i have so many names that are on my shelf that i'm constantly going back to for my for photo sessions and stuff like that so um so that was amazing um annie if you're ever listening to this i really would love to interview you and hear about a little bit more about 
you know, your earlier career work. So, so yeah, if you, uh, ever want to, <laughs> you know, hang out with random dudes in a, uh, in a blanket fort <laughs> inside a studio in Dunwoody or just on the phone, probably would be more your back. But yeah. anyway, yeah. Putting well, that out there. Yes. And, um, uh, Atlanta celebrates photography did a, a, an amazing job, uh, putting this together. They even, uh, worked with, um, uh, Pete D'Souza. Uh, he spoke at uh, Georgia State University. Unfortunately, I could not make it to that, though I would have loved to uh, listen to hear him oh, talk. Yeah, His that Instagram, such amazing cool. follow. Right. Um, I just cannot see how easy or I can't imagine how difficult it would be to photograph the same person for eight years straight. Yeah. I can't like and, and keep it fresh and creative. Every single day. I think he ended up with like 2.5 million pictures. I wouldn't be surprised. And that's so many of those are like you can't you can't get rid of you can't pull down those photos because it's actually very much for my preserving for antiquity kind of perspective. And, and, And for anybody that's like, oh, this will probably be the most political discussion we will ever have on here. But like literally put your differences aside regardless of what your political spectrum is like Pete D'Souza did an amazing job and I highly recommend at least going into looking at his work with an open mind oh yeah regardless it gives, side it gives a really unique perspective from Absolutely. behind the lens yeah of that role of uh and that's just something that that kind of visual presence of people in political power of the yeah. presidency is something that has just like grown exponentially over the last few decades yeah it was yeah definitely worthwhile checking out his work yeah so um well that is pretty much it for the stuff that we have checked out we're going to kind of jump into the photo news um so doc caps did finally yes save pack film the uh kickstarter is live and i yeah can't tell i'm excited about this action because i freaking love instant film and peel apart (laughs) film and i have been (laughs) Watching this one with bated breath since, yeah. you know, Fuji um, announced the uh, end of production on the March, FP100C. March 2016. Yeah. So I've wanted this. I mean, the first instant film I fell in love with was Peel Apart. So yeah. um, I'm just beyond excited. We've talked about it before about yeah. like how he's been a, doing it very well to take his time to assemble the right people to right. gather resources like the um, 20 by 24 project has been yeah. a big um, mem- a big player as far as like what he's doing. And you said the Kickstarter is live. Um, yep. It's already up to 60% funded right now. And it's still got 24 days to go as far as when we're recording this. Yeah. So it is looking really, really promising and just go check it out. If you haven't, I mean, you can just do save pack I want to say it is. Yeah. Um, but I will have, links to it um yeah. but it's just really it's a really really cool solution um i'm gonna keep nerding out about it for a moment if you yeah. don't mind by all means about just like the biggest issue for this and why like even impossible and polaroid originals never really tackled it was because it's so complex to make the peel apart packs like yeah. the 10 shots in a pack it's basically this crazy accordion um thing of all these different layers that have to be perfectly aligned back Mm -hmm. and forth and assembled in total darkness and the machinery for it is just so basically when fuji scrapped their machinery that was that was it there's just no yeah um this polaroid design stuff even though i'm sure polaroid originals has access to the schematics of this machinery yeah it's just so cost prohibitive to make new machines for this stuff so what are they doing different this time so what they're doing differently which again i think is it's a brilliant solution um and he talked doc cops uh doc caps talks about this a little bit um on the video for it and in the uh the kind of literature for the kickstarter Mm -hmm. they are doing instead of a pack of 10 they're doing single shot packs. Mm-hmm. Um, they're making them in kind of a paper cartridge. Um, so it's less environmental impact, easier to recycle. Sure. You're not burning through a ton of plastic. Um, and they are essentially putting one shot at a time, this this paper cartridge into the same, you know, land cameras, the Polaroid backs for medium format cameras, large mm-hmm. format. 
So it'll go in, it'll fit perfectly in this. It has the same ability to be pulled through the rollers and then you peel it apart just like you do with the pack film. Yeah. But being one shot at a time, you do remove the biggest obstacle, like figuring out this whole complex manufacturing accordion, you know, thing in the back end. So you are now being able to have some form of peel apart film. And he's very clear it's not pack film. Yeah. Even though it is save pack film and everything's the it's a reinvented is what they're really calling it that it's making peel apart film be able to be can to continue and be alive yeah. and revitalized because they are just taking it in a slightly different direction yeah which i think is just crazy cool i would have not in a million years thought that they're gonna do like a one shot per pack type thing but it makes total sense it, it eliminates a problem with too many resources are needed to accomplish that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think it's brilliant of them to say, this is our problem. Well, what can we do with it not being a problem? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I, I forget who um, someone, one of the people that Doc kind of made in his dream team is the one who came to him and said, well, what if we just do it differently and kind of remove the pack aspect of it? Yeah. And that's when it started like really clicking and happening. Yeah. Um, and I kind of like that. I mean, like as somebody that shoots a lot of four by five, yeah, I kind of like, you know what? Thank you. Because it's like now it's like I can approach pack film in a sense that it's almost like a four by five shot. Yeah. It's a little, it's more precious. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And, um, it slows down the shooting yeah. aspect of it where you're going, okay, I want to make sure this exposure is right and everything, you know, it, Sure, you're gonna find out right there and go, ah, crap, that was underexposed. And yeah, then throw another but one in I mean, it's face. honestly, it's kind of yeah. how I'm shooting pack film now. Yeah, of, of my stash left, I am being much more careful with yeah. it. I'm not just burning through ten shots willy nilly. Exactly. Um, and where it was previously, these were like, I mean, made for a lot of people use this for previews of images and right. on medium format cameras yeah. and studio of checking their lighting. So it was very much a disposable burn through a lot of it quick yeah um it's very much changed like you're saying making it this this precious one-off thing sure and i like that too like there's been times where i've switched out between two different cameras in a dark bag because i wanted to have black and white film when i had color film loaded in one and wanted to shoot on that particular camera so i switched mid-pack yeah so um right now the first one that they're coming out with is a color film Mm. It's using material from the 20 by 24 project Mm -hmm. and it has the same emulsion or same material reagent. I'm not sure if it's the exact same emulsion, but it's very close to the Polaroid 690 film, Okay, which was one of the really favorite peel apart films out there. Right. Um, So it's got a very much a original kind of Polaroid look to it. Um, And he's talking like, this is just the first. We're going to be making different varieties of film and really kind of going into it. And I think with the same mentality as the Impossible Project was that we're going to keep refining and keep working on this. We're going to keep trying to make this the best thing possible. Um, So, yeah, I'm like I said, I'm clearly excited about this action. And uh, (laughs) we'll probably keep rambling about it for a while. But uh, I love what they're doing and the fact that there are prototype sample images you can see somebody Mm -hmm. actually peeling this stuff apart it works it's again being refined but it's a um and it's an attainable goal too they're not trying to raise like two million dollars for peel apart right it's some like two hundred thousand dollars um which again they're over 60 percent theirs and and some of the people that were a little harsh with uh, now i'm going to point out some of the critiques that people were mentioning um yeah, this is where I was reading through the comments. Uh, but I was going to say, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 you go ahead. But but here, I mean, there, there are some legitimate questions that sure. I feel like they're like, okay, we have, there are answers for for some of the things that people are bringing up. A, the first thing is saying that it's not cheap. Like, yeah, no, it it's not expensive. I want to say it's about $60 for six shots. So yeah. it's, or it might be even more. So it's $11 or something like that, I think, per yeah. image. It comes out to about $11 per image. It's expensive, but here's the thing. It's being all made by hand. Every single step of the process 
and and people are like, oh, it's so expensive. I'm not going to back it because it's so expensive. You know what? That's fine. That's your prerogative if you if that's too much for you. But I think the reason why we back this was so much more than just give me pack film. Or oh yeah, give me, give me peel apart film. This was like we want this to succeed, and I'm giving you extra money to make sure that is successful. Like this actually happens because people that back impossible you backed impossible i believe right well they didn't actually do a they didn't do a kickstarter okay fair um they, but they had like kind of very uh i want to say they had much a bit more capital kind of like off the jump and okay. but they had um very well crowdfunding wasn't nearly as big of a thing when okay. they started to so but they had like I, I bought their first runs of film sure that were comparison to what they're making now right like just crap um sure you know but they were the first thing this is the start this is like we're going to be making more this is not you're not buying this film to basically shoot what they're what is there now you're buying this film so that you can shoot what'll be there in five years bingo um if there was no impossible project there would be no pull Oh yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt, it would have been lost. Like, yeah. and it really was at the eleventh hour that they saved it. Yeah. So I think people are being a little, and I don't want to be rude with saying this, but I mean, for lack of a better word, short-minded. Oh yeah. Um, this we got to look at it through a very long-term spectrum. This is going to be an uphill fight. I do expect that the spreads are not going to be even on it. You know, they're. But that's going to be fine. I mean, the, this is a starting point when it comes to this stuff. So yeah, I mean, I'm going to accept it. And you know what? If I'm if I'm going to do some video of it when it comes out, they're expecting it. I believe it was like April or March of that's what they're looking at right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's uh, uh, if it takes longer than that, that's fine. Right. I'm patient. That's the same reason. Like I backed uh, Ferenia and Silvera yeah. and even like the i have a pack of new 55 uh films still sitting in my house and i don't have a 4x5 camera shooting it oh man that's brutal yeah but i i backed it as soon as it came out just because yeah. you know it's hey. this if this stuff actually matters to me right and if it matters to you listening even if you're not really a big instant shooter yeah. um this is something that is worthwhile even yeah. just throwing forget if you don't even want to spend like 50 bucks or that's 60 bucks on a pack of film they you can they have an them for like you can get a postcard for eleven dollars. Yeah, you can get you know a set of five hand printed special edition postcards. Yeah, um, or just like five dollars or whatever you know. Yeah, they have a section there where you can just have your name put on their founders wall. Yeah, and and that's all you get. You know, your name goes up on a wall, and you know what that that's a small thing. You don't get anything returned. And you know, we had this discussion way back. I can't remember who it was with, um, where it was just like you know what just donate for the sake of donating if it's five bucks or something like that then you know what five bucks sacrifice a starbucks for it yeah exactly so. i mean so really again this is literally put your money where your mouth is Pretty if much. you care about film new films coming to market yeah. if you care about even a format of film that is uh, on the verge of being lost, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Or, well, really has been lost, but is being reinvented. Right. Um, so I think it is um, 100% worth investing in, and we will fully nerd out about that and, you know, <laughs> make sure you guys see updates and everything. And, um, yeah, I am now just kind of, like, biding my time for when I want to actually pledge more and get more of these rewards yeah things. no kidding you know it's interesting i looked at the ebay prices for uh the land cameras so like the 195 and the uh, 180 have they gone up <laughs> they've gone up nice i have i uh, since my uh polaroid um uh fp100c that i shot out was primarily for testing out exposures and stuff like that when i had a mamiya 645 i had a uh an adapter Oh, so you had the Polaroid back for it, yeah. For, but it was only a 645 square, yep. so like there was so much real estate that was wasted on that, so it's kind of sad. But At least you weren't shooting a 35-millimeter Polaroid back. They had those, man. Were really? Oh, yeah. Again, oh for just God. testing exposure. But yeah, it's Ooh. like just the 35-millimeter film frame on this, you know, two and a half or two and a quarter by like three and a quarter <laughs> size uh, frame. Oh gosh. Yeah. So um, I'm like, all right. 
I need to get another camera in order to shoot this with, and I have an idea which one to use. I'm not going to share it because the second <laughs> I throw it on here, I, it's going to shoot up in price. And right now they have not budged. Um, so it's not going to be universal. Okay. So, um, yeah, we're not going to talk about that. No, you're, I mean, you're talking about getting like a Minolta press camera, right? Or Minolta instant press. No, like uh, legitimately that's not... If anybody has one, actually, my friend Anthony has one, and it's a gorgeous camera. And even, even before this, the Minolta Instant Press camera. Was there a Minolta? There's a Minolta Instant Press. Oh, okay. It's gorgeous, man. It's one of the best folding like pack film cameras ever made. Mm-hmm. It's got like a fully manual, large format lens. I mean, yeah. even after the death of FP100C, they still go for. Twelve hundred yeah. to two grand. Yeah. So okay, I thought I thought that one was the uh, the Mamiya. Uh, no, so there's that. There's also the um, Fuji's WP something or other. So Fuji has a um, a professional folding pack camera that they made too. Interesting. I didn't, well, of course they have the FP one hundred C. Exactly. So. Um, so yeah, neither of those because um, those are certainly not affordable. Yes, but they're beautiful. Yes. So, so if anybody has one that they just, you know, want to donate to us, we will graciously take it and um, thank you for no fewer than three episodes. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think the uh, next thing, since we're on the topic of preserving for yes. the future, this was huge news. This was something that um, totally fell under our radar. Uh, this was something that totally fell under our radar. Like, I don't know how this happened, like how this didn't even make a big splash originally because it was literally like the day after. I think it was just because it was the day right after Photokina. And and there was a lot going on at Photokina. Exactly. I mean, you had the new Fuji camera. You had everybody showing their mirrorless cameras. Um, so there was just so much that was happening that Tetanol uh, had declared insolvency and which is essentially in the case of a lot of eu countries or like mm-hmm. of, of germany really akin to the bankruptcy protection of, of right. the u.s yeah so it's not exactly a bankruptcy very similar situation kind of a chance to shed some debt reorganize you know much. some things like that yeah, yeah so um so um I'm I'm surprised that it didn't make that much news. And then with Photo Classic, Marwin had contacted me. He was like, hey, man, have you heard about what's going on with uh, Tetanol? I said, no, what's up? And he told me about this. And I'm like, how have we not heard about this? Like, this is a huge deal. Yeah, it really is. So uh, if you have not read the article yet, um, you can check it out over on Studio C41. So it got a lot of shares. It got passed around. Petapixel picked it up. DIYphotography.net picked it up um, because everybody, even like even uh, Michael Zhang, the uh, editor in chief at Petapixel, even messaged me and said, We need to get this out. Um, so it was a big deal when they uh, declared insolvency. They, um, the what rides on them if the if Tentanol collapsed, there literally would be a global shortage in photochemical processing. Yeah, absolutely. Like it would be to a point that it would be so damaging that it would be almost almost irrecoverable. I would say it would be. Yeah, it would be catastrophic for sure. I don't yeah. know the level of again because they don't. It, you can't tell for sure. Like they don't like have a list of like, oh, this right. particular Kodak chemical is made by them, or this particular Ilford chemical, or right. whatever it may be. Or now Fuji Hunt is using them for all of their box chemistry for mini right. labs, or whatever. There's no list of it that yeah. just made public. But from what you guys were talking about, and kind of the, uh, the understandings is that there's a whole lot of this stuff, and there yeah. when it just comes from the raw materials to even getting raw materials to other companies, yeah. Tetanol has a big hand in that. And, and while Tetanol does not uh, publicly say who uses their chemicals, 
you can look on some of the labeling and it says that the chemicals came from Hamburg, Germany. Yeah, made in Germany. You can look at some bottles. I mean, like looking at it now, like if you, there was a time like, so Kodak HC 110 is my go-to black and white developer. Right. Um, and a few years ago, they switched from, there was a smaller bottle um, and they switched to a larger bottle, which is great because the stuff has a really good shelf life. But right. the larger bottle says made in Germany on it and it is the exact size and shape as bottles that come in kits of tentanol chemistry. Is it really? So I yeah. never paid attention to that. Um, and actually <laughs> even after listening to your conversation with Marwin um, mm-hmm. I was looking up at tentanol's Instagram page and there's one bottle of chemistry that they have on there that looks exactly like Ilford bottles of chemistry. <laughs> so I'm like what? Are they making it for everyone? And I'm kind of wondering funny. if it's the case. So yeah. Interesting. Well, so the situation um, at Tenal is pretty serious. However, it sounds like that they're going through a restructuring. What they've told, well, what Marwin has told me, and Marwin has pretty much interviewed uh, Tenal directly. And as we are recording at this very moment, he is actually at Hamburg right now talking to execs and all that. So unfortunately, I don't have an update at this point in this recording, but I'll, I'm sure I'll write something up as soon as I find out. But um, they are interested in looking at going to um, it's a business-to-consumer yeah, model rather than business to bo- uh, a business-to-business model um, because the, the reason why they went, got into insolvency is kind of like, gray like it's the waters are really muddy as far as why from what i gather in general is that some orders came in they needed supplies their suppliers couldn't get it to them in time and then uh their customers pulled the orders i don't know why they would do that you yeah. know that's really like that it to me is like there's there's something, there's, something there's going definitely on there. some some unanswered questions for sure right all the whole thing has gone down yeah but like what uh marvin was saying that it is it's a serious situation but it's not um i don't say it's not dire it's not like we shouldn't panic we're not going to be able to like not get chemistry like the chemists at tentanol have not been fired right everybody's still, still working everybody's still working they're still doing what they're doing and stuff's still coming out and I think that they really are using this insolvency to make sure that they can continue doing that for a right. long time to come. Yeah. So I think the primary goal out of this interview was to bring awareness to everybody as far as they want to expand on their business to consumer model. And they wanted to hear ideas from people and their hardships uh, when it comes to developing chemicals. Because we've we've seen monobaths that come out from like Cinestill. They've been wildly popular. Oh, yeah. Um uh, so there, but there, you know, again, there's some little things about people being a little uneasy developing at home. And so they have been look seriously considering the, uh, effervescent, uh, development tablets. Yeah. The press kits that you yes. guys were talking about, which are basically like a, well, that's the whole thing about like, you can't, it's hard enough traveling with film, um, flying, but like, forget about trying to take like a bottle of a chemical oh, forget it. anywhere. Now it's, it's interesting because Marwin and I, 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 again, this is. You know, I haven't researched too much about this, but apparently he said that this was like all safe to travel with. Now, again, this is probably pre-TSA. Well, I would say, I mean, because they're not liquid. Um, Again, I don't know. It's not powder. It's a tablet. Yeah, I I would. uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know about being an actual like carry on item. I'm sure you could travel with this in a checked bag. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's a tablet. It's um, kind of in a uh, inert state. That, yeah. you know, adding water to it is going to have the reaction and everything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's definitely going to be easier to travel with and probably have a longer shelf life yeah. than liquid chemicals. And I'm really intrigued about it because mixing powder chemicals at home kind of, um, I don't want to say freaks me out, but I'm not a fan of it. Um, all of the chemistry I use for black and white is all liquid, even though yeah. it's not as long of a shelf life. Um I really don't want to have like the risk of like spilling powder in my kitchen. Um, that is, or like, you know, basically aeros- breathing in or my family worrying about like breathing in this stuff, not right. having to like go outside or wherever. I don't, I think liquid chemicals for home developing is so much more practical than powder oh, for stuff. Sure. You know, and I think 
uh, while we're talking about this, I think one of the big questions that I think a lot of people got really turned off about, um, and these are more the digital shooters and stuff like that they brought up, but they did bring up a valid point as far as like, okay, great. Now you're just going to pour these chemicals down the drain at home because when you're in the lab, you really are watched when it comes to how you treat your chemicals. So like the fixer, yeah, there's silver in it. It's yep, a heavy absolutely. metal. You I mean, cannot pour that down. Same the thing, even like universities, high schools at Georgia State, um, Atlanta College of Art, we had a big silver recovery unit. Yeah. That whenever the um, uh, lab, the lab techs, there were like students who were like managing the lab and stuff as a work study. Yeah. Whenever they were changing out chemistry, they always had to have a very specific, particular, you know, um, kind of regimen for disposing of the fixer yeah because that is that's um that is the chemical that well it's not necessarily the chemical but it's the fact that it has silver in it and that's being a heavy metal that once that enters the water table that doesn't come out right um so that's something i think tentanol really does need to look at when it comes to the home stuff because the general home user is just going to pour it out when they're done yeah because i mean and they're like we're fortunate here like you know if you have a local lab like dunwoody yeah michael will anybody he's well he's open stores i bring my own used fixer here yep um he has a silver recovery unit that's commercial grade it's just he'll take it pour it in there and you're good to go yeah um but yeah, for somebody who might be in like, I don't know, the middle of uh, uh, nowhere, Kansas or yeah. whatever it may be that right. they don't have access to it. What are they right. supposed to do with it? Right. And there were a few things that um, that's actually a really good idea, Bill, because I would um, there was something I saw in some forums like a home silver magnet, like a home silver recovery system that yeah. you could put in your used fixer and then send that off. And yeah. If there was essentially some kind of home solution yeah. for recovering the silver and yeah. being able to get paid for it or just yeah. make sure that it's disposed safely, that that is a big, I think that's a really um, appealing uh, product that they could bring to market. Yeah, I think that there should be something there, at least in addition to some, the, the tablet idea that they have. I, I just, you know. There has to be something in place because the general user, you're going to start. I really honestly, I mean, in the big scheme of things like the amount of percentage per thousands of, you know, liters or whatever. Yeah, if you pour pour a jug of used fixer down your drain, you're not all of a sudden going to, like, destroy the (laughs) drinking water in your city. But time after time. Exactly. And also that is silver that is essentially pouring money down the drain. Yeah. So I don't know that maybe that's something to consider, but I love the tablet idea. Um, there's another blog. I don't remember their name uh, that uh, was writing a response to the news here. They actually posted some pictures uh, from way back when of using those tablets. Oh, and, nice. And so the colors aren't great. Okay. Um, but with that being said, there is some level of acceptance because it's like you are in a an environment where it's like, look, I just need to get this developed and like sent off to press where color is not that huge a deal. Like it's sure. not going in a magazine or anything. This is you're in a remote location. You need to get this developed right there on the spot. Well, and I mean, honestly, if like Marvin was talking about, this is technology. These kind of tablets and stuff is yeah. Probably 60, 70 year old. Yeah. If they were able to improve on that and bring something else, I think they could. Yeah. yeah. And, and and refine that and make colors a little bit better. Yeah. You know, that's just refinements at this point. Absolutely. So, so it's exciting. I honestly, yeah. I have no, I was trying to rack my brain about it. I'm, I'm really excited now about the prospect of them coming of some kind of silver recovery system for yeah. the home user. Right. I think that's just, I think that right there could be the most. It seems like the most needed thing yeah. that they could do. And, you know, it's kind of like, is there a way that you can ship it back? And, like, you know how you get, like, used ink cartridges. You exactly. Know? You just send it back and get, like, yep. five-buck credit or whatever. Yeah, whatever. I think that that is a really needed yeah. Um, product. Yeah. So, I don't know. Something to think about. Uh, Tentanol, if you're listening to this, um, I don't know. Um, I'll leave it to you guys because you're much smarter than I when it comes to that kind of stuff. So, um, with that being said, Tetanol, um, it's really cool that they reached out to me. They thanked me, uh, for the article that went out. Um, they really are now having a heavier presence. Yeah. It seems like they're, they're doing what is allowed companies like, 
you know, Kodak Alaris and possible yeah. or Polaroid originals. Now it's like start to thrive again yeah. is really embracing the community. Yeah. So uh, way to go, Tentanol. Uh, I think this is very good for you guys because uh, you're taking advantage of a situation that has been really bad on you guys and then trying to turn it into positive. So keep it up. Uh, the film community supports you. I support you guys. Um, so we're really excited to see what you guys are going to come up uh, with. So, um, so speaking about things that like using these tablets and everything, there was actually an article that popped up on Petapixel that I kind of wanted to talk about because it was actually kind of fun to read. Um, this uh, student uh, captured a college football game uh, and shot it with a uh, 35 millimeter film camera. Um, I think it was the Nikon F5. Yeah, so it was actually an yeah. F4 and F5. F4, it F4 looks and like. F5, yeah. And um, I don't know if it was a student or someone who actually is kind of working as a photojournalist. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a very interesting, it's an interesting article. Um, it was, I liked the fact that, yeah, he said it's a full-time newspaper photojournalist, the Knoxville News. Yeah. Um, uh, but sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I found it very cool because uh, he talked about um, pushing Fuji 400H to like 1600 in order to get the shutter speeds that he needed to capture these images. And it came out fantastic. And I think it was kind of fun to, I don't know, just kind of imagine like being him. And then you got all these guys with Sony A9s and, you know, D5s and, you know. I mean, yeah, who are shooting like, you know, one, uh, 1DXs yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah. And he, he even talked about the process as far as like he didn't spay, uh, spray and pray uh, with these shots. Like there was still like a level of intent of like knowing what is like predicting what's going to happen with the play. Sure. And so he was like, okay. Uh, these guys are going for fourth down. They're going to go for it, you know, or whatever. So, um, and and reading through the comments again, there was actually kind of funny because somebody that actually uh, has been a press photographer that covered sports for a very long time was like, if you got three shots left on that roll and they're at the end zone, you go ahead and put in a new roll of film. Yeah, there. I, I just, like, oh, I that's just a saw solid that. point. <laughs> yeah, well, so thinking about it too, like, so I have the. EOS 1V, yeah. that camera shoots 12 frames per second. Yeah. It's made for doing things like that. It's made yeah. to burn through a roll of 36 in three seconds. Yeah. You know, so the cameras were designed. People were shooting this stuff. I mean, you yeah. look at things like um, I was looking at pictures from the 96 Olympics that were here in Atlanta, yeah. you know, not too long ago. You have images that are 20 years, 20 plus years old. Yeah. Those were all shot on film. They yeah. were shot on cameras older than, or probably actually the same generation this guy's yeah. shooting on now and emulsions that are not as good as what we have now. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those images are fantastic. They're yeah. phenomenal still. Yeah. Um, so it was, it's a really, it's a really interesting article and I've got some, I mean, I've got some nitpicks and things sure. too. And, more than anything, I'll say that good on this guy for just trying something and having yeah, fun. I like, fun I it. love yeah. his entire sentiment. He kind of like ends it with being, would I do this again? Shoot film for an assignment? Of course, it was way too much fun. <laughs> um, um, but the thing that he said, plus the photos look pretty cool and vintage. So why wouldn't I want to? Yeah. Like there definitely is a vintageness to them. Yeah. But I also like kind of want to nitpick at that because sure. kind of like being like, yeah, because you didn't do it right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So fill us in. Yeah. What? I mean, not he didn't do he it didn't right. He didn't do it right. But I mean. I'm just reading like his choices for it. Sure. Like 400H is a crappy film stock to pick for this kind of thing. Okay. Um, It's not a low light film. It's a Fair crazy enough. light hungry film. Yeah. It is. So for him to shoot something like this on pro 400H mm -hmm. is a, it's a mistake, honestly. Um, yeah. Uh, and again, I don't want to harp on this guy or sound like I'm trying to just like be a jerk about it because he tried it and awesome and do it again, do it more. Yeah. But just give it more of a shot, man. Like try yeah. different film stocks. Yeah. I would have shot, I would have shot pro portrait 400. Yeah. And I would have pushed that. I would have probably yeah. even left the portrait 800 out of it. We've talked mm -hmm. about too. portrait 800 is a super light hungry film. Yep. It's not great for low light. I would have shot cine still on this even. Interesting. I yep. would have shot something that's designed for being pushed that has more latitude to it yeah. that is going to handle faster action better. Yeah. Um and again like kind of these vintage looks on here are because the film was underexposed. Yeah. That's it's not it's not 
I want to say it's it's uh, uh, uh these are um thin negatives sure. is the way that they're looking the way that they fair are. enough yeah um but except like there's one image like his very last photo on this post is excellent yeah um it's bright I think he shot with a flash and you know yeah. and it looks oh, yeah. good and I'm like that just in contrast to some of these other pictures I'm like okay that's a properly exposed picture these other ones are not sure um. So again, I don't mean to be like the critical, like kind of you You're know poking your stick in the sky. Yeah, I really don't because I'm really <laughs> excited that he did it. I mean, yeah. awesome, man! He took a shot, took a chance, and he should. I think he walked away with solid images. Yeah, and he had fun, uh, which is really what's yeah. important. But yeah. it made me think of too. Um, we were talking before we started recording. So Jonathan Canales, the guy, yeah, you know, the behind film, fine, you know, film is not dead. That mm-hmm. whole movement, the workshops, the lab, um. He, I think, has a really kind of nice contrast of how I think you can shoot these kind of sports on film now in a way that's not just vintagey yeah. or whatever it may be. He did sure. this whole series a couple of years back um, of high, a high school football team in Hawaii when he was when he was living there, and he shot mm-hmm. them all on a rolly, um, so all on a TLR, really? so a camera that's not designed for you know fast action fascinating um he shot them all on hp5 but pushed it three stops so these are like super they're contrasty they're rich huh. um and they're like freaking like i mean you can even just see like they're these beautiful pictures wow. that's using the same kind of like stadium light that this guy is like dealing <laughs> with and everything and it's just you know, it's not, he's not trying to get necessarily like the photojournalism, yeah. like the sports photographer yeah. angle. You don't see, there's not like a ton of photos of like somebody nailing a catch or something. Sure. But I think it's just really this beautiful perspective of, I don't know, photographing it on film. I mean, he has these really great moments of like even like an exhausted kid just on the sidelines. And yeah. Stuff. I think this is, I, I like it because it's the things that photographers are generally not paying attention to uh outside of the field i think this there's an emotion aspect to it um you know he's interacting with the fans uh, capturing pictures of the fans so you're really capturing an emotion yeah of the sport um so rather than like here here are a whole bunch of people smashing their heads in over a piece of rubber so So how do you really feel about football bill Uh, yeah yeah. anyway um i just think that that it's kind of you have to do a little bit of a deep dive on his Instagram to find them. Yes. Yeah. Um, they are a couple years back, but I just really like that he did something different with it. Yeah. And if the, um, excuse me for keep referring to him as if, uh, Calvin, uh, the photographer from the pay to pixel article. Yeah. If, if somehow you end up listening to this man, um, I would say keep doing it and just experiment with stuff like, yeah. shoot it on some higher speed black and white push some black and white yeah. film do something that gives embrace the fact you liked it that it was a different look than what you get normally shooting on a dslr yeah try going even further with that you don't have to shoot you know uh a particular color stock or whatever to it um and again i'd say for anybody who's trying to shoot this stuff don't use pro 400 age um <laughs> regardless of my feelings from our feelings about fuji or whatever aside it's just not a film that does well in mixed light or low light. It's just really not. Well, and I think also what I would probably do is I would research and talk to photographers that did shoot back in those days. Oh, yeah. And just like I think that would be a fu- fascinating conversation to have in general. Like, for example, uh, there's one photographer, uh, Bruce Bennett. Uh, he's been on uh, quite a few of Jared Poland's uh uh, one-on-one interviews and he is an NHL uh, photographer and he's been doing it for many 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 years so like he knows the sport inside and out he knows when to expect things like I can't imagine like how fast a puck moves oh yeah like and being able to like track it and like capture focus on that Ooh, actually shoot now i'm thinking of i can't remember i don't think it was Casey Lee there's one photographer I follow on Instagram who does mm-hmm. shoot um I think he's just all doing it just for himself, but sure. um, shoots a lot of NHL hockey on a Pentax 6.7. <laughs> yeah, so what? same kind of thing of like these That's aren't ridiculous. these aren't fast cameras. No, but his images are friggin' beautiful too. I need to 
Um, I'll have to try to oh, do I'm gonna have some to look that digging up. and look that up. But it's it's yeah. great stuff. Yeah, but I mean, like, I think we should um, at least like if it were me and I'm going into situations, I would I would have a conversation with photographers that I've done that a long time ago, just to get their advice. And I'm sure there's stuff on the internet, but there's nothing better than having a conversation with somebody, uh, especially of an older generation, they love to talk about their previous work Oh, know, in dude, general. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Buy, buy them a coffee, buy them dinner or something like that to make it worthwhile for them at least. Yeah, you can 100% learn from somebody in that. And um, even if you aren't going out and shooting it, like just how did they get to the, just learning uh, as far as their anticipation of being able yeah. to get used to it. Like you said, you don't have, you know, 4,000 images you can burn through right away to get right. one good shot out of it. Yeah. So, um, you know, fascinating, uh, look at it. I've never really even, I, I was never big into sport photography yeah, in general. Me so, I mean, like, I, I guess I just wouldn't have that emotional connection to the sport, but I, I can imagine it's not easy at all. Ooh. Although, um, have we talked about, um, I need to look him up real quick. The guy who shoots, um, large format photography at the, at the Olympics. Oh yeah, yeah. He shot, uh, was it like an Indy 500 or something a long time ago? Um, yeah, yeah. He shot some of that too. That David Burnett. That's what he does. He shoots yeah. speed graphic. He yes. shoots a speed. So it's a, it's a press camera yeah but yeah he shoots these um large format photos at the olympic games is really where he shoots a lot of it yeah and they are stunning again it's not your typical kind of you know like uh trying to get everything like super crisp motion sure you know, of it but the photos he gets are works of art man they yeah. really are and that's where i can like that kind of imagery of sports like moves me a lot yeah Oh, for sure. So, uh, well, the names that we've listed here, we will put those in the show notes. We will link back to their Instagrams, um, and uh, they're all there. It's all fantastic work, um, and I think that kind of takes sport photography to a whole new level. So, oh, without a doubt, yeah, yeah. So, um, there's one last thing on my list. Uh, so, the uh, Emulsive Secret Santa is going on right now as we yes, speak. Yes, and I need to get off my butt and send my stuff out. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, my is actually stuck in customs. Oh, did you do international? N well, n no. Like I, So, I ordered some stuff from a website that didn't tell me that it was international until after the order was uh. made. And then I found out after the fact that it was international. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. But So I ordered it back in um, November, mid-November. Oh, wow. And it just now cleared customs. And I'm a little perturbed, but it's my mistake. Sure. So I'm coming down to the wire. Uh, so, But it should be arriving any day now. So um, all is not lost. I just don't like waiting. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so anyway... Uh, Emulsive Secret Santa, it's happening right now. Uh, if you have not sent your gifts out, get it done right uh, away. Unfortunately, it is too late to sign up for this year. It is. But um, absolutely sign up for the updates. Follow Emulsive because it's just one of the most fun things out of the whole year. It really, really is. You yep. need to, uh, and you can jump on it next year, and you don't have to worry about it. It's not, like, cost prohibitive. You don't have to spend a ton of money on this. Yeah. You can spend 10 to 20 bucks. Yeah, you know? 20 bucks. And it's just fun. It really is. Yeah. Um, however, there is one thing that is still open, um, and that is the community causes. So. Oh yeah, it's I. I haven't looked into that that much. So. Yeah. What's uh, What's the deal with that? So, uh, uh, many companies. Uh, you have Intrepid, Cine Still, Kodak Professional, Kodak Motion Picture. Um, I think at the time at when i interviewed m on this there are over 30 companies that have banded together and they are looking for people in the organization or in the community aspects that are influencers people that are spreading the love i guess uh for analog photography and they're just doing it because they they enjoy it um and uh they're looking for nominations and what will happen is at the end of I believe it's like January or something along those lines. There will be a vote that goes out to the top uh, communities or organizers or, you know, organizations that um, 
you know, are influencing the analog community. So you can go over to Emulsive's website. I will have a link uh, in the show notes. So if there is somebody that you find that has been very influential to you guys, um, and it doesn't have to be like a YouTube channel or a podcast, um, you know, this can be something local, like a, a darkroom community that had yeah. a huge impact on you guys. Like the, the darkroom communities are having just as a hard a time, you know, with equipment and stuff like that. So these are things that these organizations can help out these and, you know, help out with, um, you know, these, these darkroom labs or, you know, anybody. Really, they, they, they can Whether it's help. like some kind of like educational, exactly. whatever, you know, like yeah. a, a local school or a program that exactly. gets like, you know, film cameras in the hands of kids or, exactly. you know, yeah, whatever it may be. Yeah. So. so if there's anybody that has influenced you, please head over to that website, nominate them. And then um, the top, I believe, five that will be nominated will go through a vote and then the community will make a vote. Uh, and then I believe the top three will be selected amongst the um, uh, of the different companies that are pitching in to help. So uh, oh, just, just crazy cool, you know, yeah. that they wanted to do something to really highlight people in the community yeah. who are doing it more, f- again, for the kind of like the love of photography and yeah. film photography and spreading that. So good on you, Emulsive. Yes, Em, you're doing an awesome job, man. Way to go. Keep it up. And I hope you are feeling better, man. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um, anyway, so that wraps it up for this episode. We are going to make it a quick one because we have a very cool interview coming up. Um, and I'm sleepy. Night, night. Good night. All right. You can take a nap now. All right. Cool. Up. Okay. All right. Thanks, man. So um, I'm not going to tell you who it is because I'm sure you can probably just look it up on the list anyway when I release this, but it will be released as a separate episode. So I got to so, run out. You know, you want to build at least a little bit of suspense and tension. He's kind of a big deal. Um, is, it, is, is it one of us? <laughs> no. Okay, that's because that'd be weird. Yes. Uh, he is with DP Review. I will leave it like that. Uh, so until the next episode shoot some film. Dang it. Dang it. Dang it.